What the Actual Fork podcast is co-hosted by two intuitive eating registered dietitians, yours truly, Sammy Previtt, owner of Fine Food Freedom, and Jenna Warner, owner of Happy Strong Healthy. We can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real. Our mission is for all humans to believe that they are made for so much more than chasing a smaller body. We are also here to share with you that food can be fun and pleasurable again. Although we are medical professionals, we are human too. We are not afraid to share our deepest, darkest secrets and how years of our lives were taken by diet culture. We started this podcast so no human has to feel alone in their journey towards food freedom. So get comfy and join us for a casual convo where you can expect to laugh, cry, learn, and grow. (laughs) Welcome back to another episode of What the Actual Fork podcast. Today, we had Erin Trawlor on the podcast, otherwise known from her Instagram handle, Raw Beauty Talks. And a little bit about Erin. She went from being an anorexic teen to a celebrity health coach and founder of Raw Beauty Co. Erin is helping women live healthier and more aligned lives built on a foundation of self-love. Her own rocky relationship with food and her body led her on a journey to interview over 200 women in a no makeup, no Photoshop, no filter series that sparked a global conversation. Today, Erin's 12-week program, The Raw Beauty Reset, helps transform women, transform participants' relationship with food and their body based on four pillars, nourishment, movement, mindset, and self-love. The reset takes participants back to the fundamentals of wellness for their unique body, teaching them to eat intuitively, create healthy habits, and build an empowering mindset that will support long-term holistic health. And we talk about today her upcoming program as well and the incredible partner that she has for that program and you guys are going to need to listen to the end to hear who it is and what they have to offer together because it's incredible and it really encompasses this message so well yes and I feel like one of the things I love most about the episode is I feel like Erin is an amazing storyteller Mm. like it's before we interviewed her I, I looked up a few YouTube clips and I watched some of her like speaking events and I could and like right away like same thing on the podcast she just is so captivating when she talks. So I think it's an amazing episode, just like every other episode that is so like pulls so much information, vulnerability, educational, but she pulls on her heartstrings. So for sure. And I think this is a good one. If you have a notebook available, we talk about a journal prompt in there, but there's also just little gems that she gives throughout this episode of just inspirational quotes and just inspiring messages to that are incredibly relatable. No matter where you are in your journey, you will get something out of this episode. So let's get into it. Welcome back to another episode of What the Actual Fork podcast. Today, we have the amazing Erin Trelore here. Erin, thank you so much for being with us. I'm so excited to be here, and I just love the name of your podcast. It's brilliant. Thank you. (laughs) There are so many things in this world of body image and food and dieting where you just are like, what the actual fork? What, the Wait, what a great intro. I know. I was like, I was like, you, you're, you're basically reading our minds here. I don't know if you've listened to any of other episodes, but we always start out asking our guests, 
what is the most recent or the most profound moment that you've had that made you like stop in your tracks and say, what's the actual fork? Uh, so this one's less about my relationship with food and my body. I'll just say that. But I think it's something that a lot of people can relate to. I went on our first family vacation in what feels like a decade, but it was actually just two years because of COVID and all of that stuff. And we went to Maui and I was so excited for this trip. I struggled with postpartum anxiety after having my daughter, Brooklyn, and it hit about eight months after she was born. So I thought I was good to go. I'd gotten back to work. I was doing all the things and I had like the, the worst anxiety. It, it laid me in bed for almost two months um, and was completely debilitating. And so I've spent two years since then really focused on the practices that will serve my body where it is right now, rebalancing hormones, um, reducing anxiety. I haven't drank any alcohol for a year. I'm, you know, really rooted in the practices that serve me and was feeling so good. We get to Maui, you have all these expectations of what this trip is going to look like. And I had, um, my, my naturopath had prescribed progesterone cream to me, um, which my progesterone had just bottomed out. And this is an important piece of our cycle ladies. Um, and so I was, my cycle was really short. So we were trying that and I found myself day two in Maui, again, back in a space of debilitating anxiety. And when I'm anxious, it's like my mind is no longer thinking logically, which is a common thing with anxiety. And so any limiting beliefs that I have come up, like, I don't know what I'm doing as a mother. I don't know what I'm doing in my career. I don't know if I'm even living the right life right now. I... I mean, just any fear that I've ever had is right there at the surface and I can't reason with myself or, or find a rational way of looking at things. And so um, my body goes into panic mode and I, I get very nauseous and dizzy and all of the things. And there I was on this trip that I held so much expectation around where I just wanted time to really like be one-on-one -on -one with my kids where I wanted to root into my practices, to move my body, to swim in the ocean, to get vitamin D. And I couldn't even leave the room. Like I had, I had to go back to the basics again. And I felt in that moment so frustrated and so devastated that all this work I had done and everything that I speak about as a coach, like it felt like the rug had just been ripped out from underneath me and, and everything had been taken away. And, you know, when we're in those moments where we've fallen back in the deep, dark hole, you really question whether you're going to get out. Even if you've fallen in that same hole three or four or five other times, when you're back down in there, you're like, damn it, how did I get back in here again? And, um, and, you know, I've done so much work to, to ensure I'm not in my cycles of burnout again and that I'm not replaying and I'm not in this hole. And so I had to make peace with the fact that this was hormonally driven and it was the progesterone cream. And um, within, you know, probably a week, things had really started to balance back out again. There was a lot of shell shock there. There was a lot of shame around what had happened. Um, and here I am. It's been about it's been one month exactly. And 
I, I'm, I feel so good again. And I was able to, it didn't take two years to get back to this point. It took a month and I'm still, you know, working away at it, but it was a really great reminder that in life, <laughs> this process of healing, whether it's binge eating or anxiety or depression, it's not linear. And even those of us who are teaching it and supporting others in it, we fall too. We aren't immune to these things. We have tough days. We have dark moments and that's okay. I mean, even I want other health practitioners who are listening right now to know that you don't have to be superwoman or superman and pretend to always be invisible and always have the answer in every moment. We're human beings as well, obviously. Um, and the thing is that the more times you fall in the hole, the more times you fall, as long as you're being proactive about staying self-aware and learning and reflecting, you're going to get out of that place so much faster. You're going to have so many more resources. You're going to know who to call and who to talk to and who's safe to lean on. You're going to know what steps to take to help you move through it. You might find there's a little less judgment around it, a little less shame. And so I just, I don't know. I think that moment was a huge, what the actual fork is happening right now. How did this happen? This wasn't supposed to happen. And yet it was supposed to happen. You know, I already understand a big portion of the why. And um, here we are today. Thank you so much for sharing that, all of it. And I have so many more questions about it. And I think we'll get back to in a second your story. But I want to ask you, where do you, where do you live? I live in Vancouver, in, in Canada. States? Okay. I'm in Canada. So my first yeah. question when you were like, we went to Maui, I'm like, she have a three-year-old and she was on the plane for that long. I need to learn everything about your secrets. <laughs> it's called where my anxiety was going. Airplane movies. No, there I have a, I have a four-year-old and a six-year-old and it was the most amazing flight because for the first time they both could wear their little headphones. They were so excited. We don't do a ton of TV time at our house. Like they do watch TV every day, but it's like 30 minutes. So to get to watch movies for five hours with snacks in their own little chair, they were pumped. I yeah, read a book. <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah, you just hang tight. It's coming. But <laughs> yeah, the, the flight anxiety is real for anyone oh with God. little kids. It's a lot. I have it's a, a 10 lot. month old and we took him on a trip when he was seven months old and he was just yeah. starting to crawl and it was yeah. no. horrific. No. <laughs> so, no. And it's not okay. Anyways, it's not like okay. It's strange. the most, un <laughs> you feel like you're like locked in a small space with a moving weight that needs constant snacks. <laughs> like their yeah. ears are popping. You're trying to keep them quiet. No. I know. Yeah. No. Okay. I don't want to digress too much. <laughs> Let us go back to, we want to hear more about how you got to where you are today. And in your bio that you've shared with us, um, that our listeners have already heard, you wrote from anorexic teen to celebrity health coach and founder of Rob Beauty Company. Can you tell us a little bit more? You can share as much as you're comfortable with about your story as to where you got to, or how you got to where you are in this moment. 
Well, first of all, I did not say that I'm a celebrity health coach. My PR team said that I was a celebrity health coach. So first and foremost, I'm just a regular human being. I'm 36 years old. I have two kids. I live in Vancouver. Yes, my my career that I am so honored to get to play a part in today stems from struggle as so many individuals who are in an area or field of caring and helping have experienced themselves. When I was 16, I became infatuated with comparing my body to other women's bodies. I also went through puberty really late. So I went from being like this super long lean beanpole to having boobs and a bit more on my butt at that time. Looking back, there was really still nothing there, but regardless, as we do as women, I was finding all of the little things that were changing or that were different from those women that I was seeing in magazines. And I started to follow the information that I was getting in magazines at the time, like how to lose 30 pounds in three days and these foods are bad and avoid this and all of the different things that we now receive daily in the palm of our hand via Instagram or uh, blogs or whatever it is that we're looking at. And this obsession with being healthy, which is really what I thought I was doing, was just wanting to be healthy so that I could be the best dancer, the best student, a good girl, you know, all the things that we're told we should be, spiraled really quickly into a full-blown eating disorder. So it went from a place of choice to a place where my mind was overrun by this voice that was constantly counting calories telling me that I should hang tight on eating until later. And then when later would come, it was absolutely not yet. Let's wait because this is coming up tomorrow. And uh, there was constant calculator in my, in my brain of good, bad, um, and weighing in on what I should eat and shouldn't eat and that caloric intake. I ended up in the hospital where I spent three months in between grade 11 and 12. And that was so hard on so many different levels, but also I think one of the greatest gifts that a person could be given to push life on, you know, everything that is going around, to push pause on everything that's going on in your life and to be able to just focus on yourself and to learn about why you're doing the things that you're doing and actually who you are as an individual. So from that stay in the hospital, I was able to get back up to a healthy weight, which then allowed my brain to start functioning properly again. And um, I carried on through life, but was still swimming in the sea of diet culture, right? Like, it's not like you leave the hospital in this little bubble and, and none of these messages reach you anymore. You're still navigating everything. So, and also when you're in the hospital as well, you're put on a very strict meal plan that is given to you by the nurses and the team to help you gain weight again in a healthy way and to ensure you're getting all the macro and micronutrients that you need. And so when I came out, I still didn't really understand other than this list I'd been given of what I should eat, how to feed myself or how to eat intuitively. And so I found myself back in a space where I was ensuring that I was eating but whenever I was stressed or overwhelmed, I would start counting calories again. 
And I would try and eat healthy as I could during the day and found myself often binging at night. And in this space where I felt very out of control around food, I didn't want to be left alone with it. Going to parties or events where there would be food was stressful to me because I was worried about trying not to eat it. I don't know. Like I could never focus on being in the moment because I was always just thinking about food. And so eventually I was just exhausted from this cycle. I was kind of always gaining weight, feeling exhausted, missing out on social events. Again, my mindset had been taken over by food because, but this time it felt very out of control versus the anorexia, which is very controlled and rigid. And, um, so I ended up working with a coach myself and, learning how to eat intuitively. She wasn't an intuitive eating coach, but in hindsight now, that is essentially what we were doing. And then really addressing the root as to why I was trying and working so hard to control what I was eating and um, the food that I was putting in my body or not putting into my body. And, um, and so it was probably over the course of three, four, five years learning how to fuel myself consistently, learning how to stop restricting, which is ultimately what really leads to the binging and, and finding a, a set point or homeostasis within my body where I could trust myself around food again, where I wasn't labeling things as good or bad. And, um, I launched Raw Beauty Co. not as a coach, just as a girl who wanted a space for more conversation around this type of thing. I spent three years interviewing over 200 women across North America and having real raw, honest conversations with them about how they felt in their body and eventually hit a wall and was like, I cannot have another conversation with a woman who doesn't feel confident in herself and who feels like she's not enough without having some tools to support her in moving forward, to support her in ending this cycle of emotional eating and binge eating and um, something that had held me back so much in life and taken so much of my mental capacity and joy. Um, so I, I went back to school. I did my health coaching certification through the Health Coach Institute. I partnered up with an intuitive eating dietitian, Ali Eberhardt, and um, Dr. Hillary McBride, who's, uh, who is a psychologist in body image. She's absolutely incredible. You should follow along both of those women. Um, and we put together my group coaching program, the Raw Beauty Reset, which has now had over 700 people go through it. We've partnered with some incredible women to run the program. And we're just going to keep going from here. Feels like it's just the start. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And I know it was like a very abbreviated version and it's hard to talk about that many years so quickly, but it's just, it's so important to know that like, I, I always love to say like there's purpose in our pain and like when you're going through those really low lows or when, you know, you're at the height of your eating disorder, like it's hard when you're in those pits, but, or even if we go back to the story you shared in Maui, right. But there is purpose in our pain. It's our body trying to tell us something. And it's so beautiful to see your progression and obviously how you're using that pain that you went through to help so many others. So I think it's such a gift that saves me a million times over as well. 
I don't know anybody who's gone through this type of thing, when you can find some meaning behind it or some purpose behind it, even if it's just one conversation that you have with someone else to let them know that they're not alone, whenever you're in that hole, it can feel very isolating. And like, you're the only person who can't figure this out. And especially right now with social media, which, you know, you're in that space where you're depressed or you're low, or you're struggling with your food and you click into this device in our hand. And it seems like everyone else has their complete shit together 24 seven. And you're like, wow, I suck. What's wrong with me? And so I feel like it's not owed to anybody to share, you know, those moments in the hole, but God, it can be really healing when it lands with the right person. Or if you're somebody who's open to sharing that kind of thing, I've always found such a lifeline. You know, when I was going through my postpartum, I remember Googling people who have gone through postpartum, celebrities who have gone postpartum. Like I needed to see somebody who I admired and respected and, and to know that they had gotten through it and that they were okay and that their life didn't end in order to give me hope to kind of keep moving forward myself. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm doing this work to serve others and help others, but it's helping myself at the same time. If I'm being honest. I think Jen and I would absolutely agree with that's why we do the work that we do as well. And it's, it's, I think, I think that makes the work that much more fulfilling and that much more deep and raw and helpful and realistic. I mean, there's so many different words we could use. Um, I would love if you could expand a little bit on like the hashtag, no makeup, no Photoshop, no filter series mm-hmm. with that was the series you were referring to with the 200 plus women. I mean, yes. anything that comes up for you, like what were some of those interviews? Like what were some of the highlights? Like were there people that you interviewed that you were so surprised that they were saying the things that they were saying, but it obviously just humanizes all of us because we mm-hmm. all struggle. So yeah. anything you want to share? I mean, I learned so much during that series, so much about myself and so much about humanity and other women and the beauty industry and the toll that it takes as well. Um, The no makeup, no Photoshop, no filters wasn't really being done when we launched this. It was 2014. It was like Dove was doing this amazing cutting edge stuff and, and everything else was still really edited and curated and these big photo shoots and, and airbrushing. And so I was just craving to see the real raw side of things. Like I wanted to see what does that actress or what does that doctor or what does that student look like when we just peel everything back and then obviously we take it a layer deeper by asking really um, deep questions that go far below the surface of what they look like so the images you know caught people's attention of course but it was really through the conversations that I noticed the most transformation myself one of the things that I noticed first and foremost, is that a lot of women came in without makeup on, um, apologizing for the way that they looked. Oh my God, I can't believe I don't have mascara on. I'm so sorry that, what, your eyelashes are blonde like mine? It's okay. Why are we, why do we feel we have to apologize? And I did the exact same thing. Don't get me wrong. So it was just, there was never any judgment as I was noticing this stuff. It was just noticing how we show up. So a lot of apologizing for the way 
that women were in that given moment. The other thing that I, I noticed very quickly was that the women who had the hardest time making eye contact, who apologized the most, who carried the most emotion were actually the ones who in many ways were closest to society's definition of beautiful. So this one for me was like a big TSN turning point. I don't know if that's just a Canadian term, but like a big aha moment. I was like, how is this possible? That it's the actresses and the models and the women who have been hired in their jobs because of the way that they look that are struggling the most with the way that they look. That's not how this story is supposed to go. If you are more societally beautiful, then you're supposed to be happier, more successful, more confident. That's the story that we're told as women, right? When we see images, just make yourself more beautiful and everything else will get figured out. You're going to find love. You're going to be happy. You're going to be confident. You can wear whatever you want to wear. This is the story we are told from the time we are two years old. The, the girls, as we had conversations, who had from a very young age been given praise based on the way that they looked, who had been given attention based on the way that they looked, who had been given jobs on the way that they looked, they started to derive their value from that place. The most important thing about themselves, they felt, was the way that they looked. So if you ask them to strip off the makeup, to strip off the, the labels, the designer labels, like none of that was allowed. It was like wear a black or white t-shirt with no, no labels. When you strip all of that away from them, they feel very exposed and vulnerable and like their value and their enoughness has been taken away because they haven't been told that you're smart, you're creative, you're kind, you make people laugh. Being in your presence makes me feel lighter. You know, all of these other things. They haven't built up their self-esteem around anything other than what is a depreciating value in our society. Or what we're told is depreciating value, which is our appearance. Because as we age and wrinkles form, or we get blemishes, or our lips aren't big enough, or our boobs aren't small enough or big enough, whatever the flavor of the month is, then these women who had attached their value to that felt like you know, they were, they were losing their value every year or in, in this moment of the photo shoot. So that was a huge aha moment for me. And it's really shaped the way that I show up for my daughter now and the things that I tell her, I would be lying to you if I said, I never tell my daughter that she's cute, you know, or I'm not like, Oh, I love that dress on you. That would be a blatant lie. Because I do see her in that way as well. But you better believe that I am telling her, you have such a kind heart. I love how creative you are when you put on your whatever Cinderella costume or whatever it is. Or, you know, I can't stop smiling when I see you do that. We're talking about so many other attributes that she has. And I've been from the universe gifted with a daughter who seems like she's already obsessed with makeup. Um, wants to do her hair, is obsessed with fashion. And the way I, the re reason I say that I'm gifted with this is because it's also my challenge and that she is clearly telling me she is so into all of this stuff. And I am going to allow her to be while also, you know, trying to bring in all the tools that I've learned over the years to support her and knowing that she can find creativity and fun in that. 
but that it's supposed to be creative and fun and it's not her full identity or worth as a woman. She's four. So we're also still figuring this out. <laughs> you really <laughs> answered, you took the words out of my mouth because I was going to piggyback on that and just ask, do you think it's appropriate to have that balance? And it's funny because I have a little boy um, and Sammy has a little girl in, in her belly. Um, oh, you do. Congratulations. <laughs> Amazing. But, you know, there's so much like language about now and there's so much more research about the things you say to when they're baby babies and how that impacts them. And so my question to you would be, you know, is it appropriate to have that balance of kind of encouraging like you're beautiful, but also you're so kind, you're so smart, those things. And, you know, how would you talk to a mom about that? Yes. So first of all, I don't have a case study where I can be like, I am the genius who has figured all of this out. Here's the formula XYZ sign up for my course. No, that's not where I'm at with any of this stuff. And what I've learned is it really depends on every individual child. I grew up with a mom who was super athletic. She never wore makeup. She didn't talk a lot about like you are beautiful or you're not. I mean, she obviously always, we always, always felt loved, but I had moments when I was navigating through my eating disorder of being like, am I beautiful? Like, I don't know. And so some could say, well, maybe it would have been helpful if she'd affirmed that within you. But then again, it's like, well, why is that so important? And that we don't necessarily need to affirm that. Then I have, and coach women who are like, my mom was so focused on the way that I looked and dressing properly and, and ensuring that I was always presentable. And she talked a lot about her own weight. And so I think that we have to just be gentle with ourselves as moms, first and foremost, because there's about 50,000 things on the list each day that we should and should not be doing. So let's all pause and just remember there's no correct answer here. There's no one way of doing it. And you as a mom are going to, if you can tap into your intuition and knowing as you navigate things with your own child as to what they need and what they don't need, that's the, the number one thing. The second thing that I think is most important is for us as mothers to show up to do this work ourselves. So to really examine our own uh, beliefs about our body, our own relationship with food, to examine what we've been told over generations as to how we should show up and to ask ourselves, like, how truly, how am I feeling in my body? What, where is my inner dialogue at when I'm speaking about myself? Um, does my relationship with food feel vibrant and healthy and supportive? Because when you're able to get yourself to that point, you'll be much more likely to support your own children in getting there too. And you will be their greatest role model. And so I would always encourage moms rather than focusing on like, how do I not screw up my child? How do I you know, do that? Is to, to step up to the plate and to do the work themselves, which requires a lot of courage and bravery. But there's so many of us out there who are helping you to, you know, myself, Hillary, it's all about finding the person that feels like the right fit and then, and then showing up and doing the work and you'll be the perfect person to then guide your child as best as we can in this crazy world. Um, and to support them in forming those healthy relationships themselves. That was so beautifully said. And I always love 
that that's like a, a big question we get from parents. And we've done a lot of episodes specifically on intuitive eating professionals who work with parents, but that's like the number one thing is like turn inward, work on yourself. And as yeah. those relationships with food and body image and movement become peaceful and calm and content, then that will flow over into those around you and you can plant Always. those seeds. Always. Um, so Always. Love, love that. The last question I want to ask, which was one I had written down before, because I would love, and again, you can take like 30 seconds or however long you want to answer this, but I would love to hear how did you define beauty at the height of your eating disorder? And how do you define the word beauty now? Because obviously mm. beauty is such a big part of your brand, mm -hmm. but with the question we just asked, it's like, we don't need to necessarily put the emphasis on that. So how did, how did your definition, how did your definitions of beauty change? When I was 15, 16 years old, my definition of beauty looked like a Victoria's Secret model, straight up. That's what was beautiful in my eyes, what I thought I needed to be, who I wanted to be, and what I thought success and everything else, like all those big feelings that we want, what that would look like. Today, beauty to me is just so much deeper, rounder wider. I mean, it's very hard to define. It's more of a feeling that comes from within. I see truly so much beauty in things that freaked me out before, like cellulite and curves and wrinkles and freckles and moles. Like I have so many moles on my body and I hated them. And then you have Gigi Hadid come along who's got so many moles on her body and she's the top model of all time. And you start to just realize like these standards that are put out for us from a physical standpoint of beauty are just constantly changing. I heard last week that the Kardashians have taken their butt implants out. So we're moving away from that look like psych to all the people who put them in. It's just exhausting. And I'm not judging the people who put them in. It's just when we play this game of keeping up to the physical beauty standards that are laid out to us, we spend an exorbitant amount of time, energy, and money trying to keep up. And it exhausts us and it kind of puts a ceiling on our personal potential and our ability to find joy and love and all of these things. And so I think for me, it's when we talk about like wanting to feel beautiful, because at the end of the day, this is something that a lot of women want to feel and embody. It's so much more of a feeling. And I would encourage everyone who's listening right now to think about a moment when you felt beautiful. And my guess is that it's not going to be like when you stepped on the scale and saw that number that you wanted to see. It's going to be when you were hugging your child or when you were sitting at the beach with your bare feet and your sand your toes in the sand and there was a sunset or you were listening to a really good song driving down the road or you hit that goal that you really wanted to hit. And we've got to remember that beauty is so much more than the way that we look. It really is. And even though we're told countless times a day that that's the definition, we have the ability and the capacity to see it with so much more depth, vibrancy, aliveness than we even understand as possible. So keep like sinking into gratitude, keep looking for the beauty around you, whether that's on shadows 
that are on the wall or, you know, that cup of coffee in the morning, that first cup of coffee, or um, maybe it is makeup for you and the creativity around that, but always keep coming back to what supports you in feeling your best and feeling beautiful from the inside out. That was incredible. And I just want to layer on for our listeners, because we've had this opportunity in a couple of different episodes, like what Erin just said, take out a notebook, a piece of paper and write down, like, how do you define beauty for yourself today? I mean, what a powerful exercise that could be, because I'm sitting here thinking like what my definition would be versus what it would have been even two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so different. And I, as you were speaking and your Instagram posts about freckles really struck up a memory for me when I was like 17, maybe I think I was a senior in high school. I had moles removed from my face because I was mortified by them. Mm-hmm. They were like, they stuck out and they were big. And now I have scars <laughs> on my face from where those moles were. And I think back to like, why did they bother me? And it's just so crazy. Like how much can change over time. So for anybody listening, it would be an incredible exercise to add to your journaling exercises. Um, But Erin, thank you for everything that you've shared with us today. It has been refreshing and interesting and thought-provoking and just beautifully said. Um, Tell all of our listeners, please, where they can find you and if there's anything that you are offering coming up, any ways that our listeners can learn more from you, we would love to hear and support you. I would love to connect with anybody who's listening. Please pop over to our Instagram page at Raw Beauty Talks and send me a DM or um, a quick message to let me know, you know, what you're going through right now, if you're feeling like you're in a hole, how can I help you get out of that hole? Our website is rawbeauty.co. I have a podcast as well called Raw Beauty Talks. And I'm super excited because we are launching our next 12-week Raw Beauty Reset program, which is our uh, non-diet approach to mind, body, health. And we are partnering up with the incredible Meg Boggs for this 12-week session. I don't know if you're familiar with Meg, but she's just the most inspiring, incredible individual ever. Um, She's going to be joining us for the whole 12 week journey, sharing, you know, her story, but more so her advice and wealth of knowledge and her own experience and her body and um, navigating all the things that she's navigating right now. The program is kicking off at the end of January. So Um, If anyone would like to join us on that, head on over to the website, our Instagram page. We would love to have um, you join us for the ride. It really is um, 12 weeks to ending the battle with food and your body. Guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of What the Actual Fork Pod. We know there are a lot of pods out there, and we are so grateful that you are here listening with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, share with all your friends and faves, and follow along with us on social at What the Actual Fork Pod. We promise to continue to bring you the hottest topics, greatest guests, and the most fun you can possibly have while fighting diet culture bullshit. We love you, we appreciate you, and we will see you next week for a lot more fun.